at almost every event that you know we ever went to, um, it was almost a hundred percent male every single time. There'd be a couple other women in the room, and after that event, we got together and we were like, okay, we need to do something about this. I'm Tor Bear from Enigma, and welcome to Decentralize This. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Decentralize This, presented by Enigma. I'm Tor Bear, the head of growth for Enigma, and on today's episode, I am speaking with Alexis Gaba. Alexis is the co-founder of Mechanism Labs, an open-source research lab focused on studying consensus, scalability, usability, and other aspects of decentralized systems. She is also the co-founder and executive director of She256, a nonprofit that's focused on increasing diversity and breaking down barriers to entry for the blockchain and decentralization space. Alexis is also currently a student at UC Berkeley, working on her degree in computer science, and she's been very active in getting student communities more engaged with blockchain technology. On this episode, Alexis talks with me about diversity of builders and users in the blockchain space, how mentorship and education can contribute to a more sustainable and open ecosystem, and the role of design and design thinking in creating products that can get adopted by millions of users worldwide. It was really inspiring for me to hear Alexis's vision for a more inclusive space and how to scale decentralized systems, and I believe her work with She256 is absolutely critical for ensuring that this movement is truly global. I cannot wait for you to be inspired as well, so without any further introduction, here is Alexis Gaba. Alexis, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Decentralize This. I am thrilled to have you on. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So we're going to start the same way we start every episode. Who are you professionally, personally? Who is Alexis? <laughs> Good question. Um, yeah, so I guess from a professional sense, I've been in the blockchain space um, for a little bit now. And um, I am the co-founder of She256, which is a nonprofit with the mission of increasing diversity and breaking down barriers to entry in the blockchain space. Um, and I've also co-founded Mechanism Labs, which is a research lab focused on scalability, distributed consensus, and usability. I'm super, super passionate about this technology, and I can't really see myself working anywhere else. Yeah, uh, you have the great fortune of while you're, you know, going through and doing uh, all these early stages of education, like this is actually an industry. And I just keep thinking back to like when I was going through my undergraduate years, if only this had been like a real industry beyond just like a, a space of study. But this was about a decade ago. And I keep thinking how lucky people are now that they can come into this space. And there's people like you and, and, and uh, so many others who are like making this like a real space that people can get involved with, like from a very young age. Oh, it's very, very exciting. Even in just the last year I've been at Berkeley, um, we've seen, you know, like when, when I, when I, when I first came to Cal, maybe like a year ago now, um, there was blockchain at Berkeley was doing the student run decal, which is um, Berkeley has courses that students can create and teach to other students. And so they had one on blockchain fundamentals and blockchain development. And since then, professors from the law school, business school and computer science school have all started to teach their own blockchain courses, which is crazy and very, very exciting. Oh, that's super cool. 
Well, I, I definitely want to uh, hear a bit more about what is going on at Berkeley in, in particular and, and, and what you've been experiencing. But I definitely want to hear a lot more about what you're doing with She256, why you started it, how it's going. Like All of this is really fascinating to me. And, and on this podcast where we have such a focus on how the space is going to scale into the future, mm-hmm. how we get millions of people using the technologies, hopefully someday millions of people building the technologies, uh, I feel like the work you're doing is is really critical. So let's start at the beginning. Um, even before She256, like, how did you get involved with blockchain originally? Why why has it hooked you like this? What is it about the space, do you think, or, or the technology? For sure. Um, so I had been I had been interested in security and privacy a little bit, but more from a policy perspective. Um, my senior year of high school, I was taking a course called Modern International Affairs, and at the very end, we had to come out with this like fifteen page like paper analyzing any kind of policy issue. Um, and so I focused on the GDPR, and that's kind of when I started to think about and hear about blockchain. Um, beyond just, you know, having Bitcoin in the back of my mind from hearing it through, you know, random news sites or wherever. Um, and so that's when I started you know, considering it as something interesting. Um, and then the semester after that, I took a game theory class and that's kind of when it clicked. Um, it was at that point where I was like, okay, like I've been interested in, you know, economics and game theory and computer science. And here's how this blockchain thing I was thinking about kind of fits in. Um, And so from there, it was kind of down the rabbit hole, you know, to the Bitcoin white paper, Ethereum white paper. When I found out I was going to Cal, um, I, you know, there was this amazing community of people who were also just as crazy passionate about this technology and doing everything they could to learn over at Blockchain at Berkeley. Um, And so surrounded by those kind of peers and the opportunities that that provided, it has pretty much been spiraling since. When I was in school, and I don't want to talk too much about it because it's my it's my 10th reunion this year and it's already terrifying me. But when I was in school, I was also studying game theory and and behavioral economics and there wasn't that path, right? So I got dragged into a related um, but completely different field, which was trading, uh, which seemed to be at the time the most interesting application of game theory. It certainly was was a very big industry. Did you ever feel a pull while you were there toward like a traditional industry where you could apply some of these thoughts? Or was it obvious to you that you wanted to work in this kind of like bleeding edge field? I think it became pretty apparent to me early on. And I think that's a lot because the start of my education overlapped with this, the start of my formal like college education overlapped with um, me being really, really interested in this technology. So there was never even you know, a second where I was thinking about other, you know, more traditional applications of this tech, um, just because this was the first thing that, that, that kind of appeared and that I was so, so drawn to. I, I think that's awesome. And, and you're very fortunate then because I, I don't think I resisted temptation quite as well. Uh, but here I am at least finally back in the space. So I, I'm thrilled to see you making a full career out of it. Don't, don't waste your time. <laughs> Uh, so let's get straight into it. I, I definitely want to hear then, now now that I understand a bit about where you're coming from, where did She256 come from? Why why did that become a priority for, for you and the other people involved? Around fall of 2017, when I started school, um, I was super, you know, with Blockchain at Berkeley, a lot of us would go to lots of different blockchain events. And at almost every event that, you know, we ever went to, 
um, it was almost a hundred percent male every single time. There'd be a couple other women in the room and, and it was definitely a little bit surprising at first. I was like, okay, you know, these ratios are worse than my CS classes. I didn't, didn't think that was possible. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then, you know, it happened again and again and again. And then eventually, you know, there was this one particular event in Berkeley and, um, there were around a hundred men and there were four our women in the room and the four of us knew each other. Um, we, we had, um, you know, been working at blockchain at Berkeley and kind of after that event, we got together and we were like, okay, we need to do something about this. Um, this keeps happening. And, and there, and you know, we all know so many talented women who just aren't necessarily, aren't necessarily aware of what's going on in the space. And so at that point, the question to us was, okay, how can we, um, you know, and enable our peers to learn more about blockchain technology. How can we get them excited about it? And so we were thinking about college students. Um, but then we were like, okay, why stop there? Um, why not go bigger? And that's kind of when we decided that we wanted to host the conference, which happened in April of last year. Um, and so that was our first annual conference. The goal there was to highlight the amazing work of innovators and researchers already in the space. So it was an all-female lineup of absolutely incredible individuals. Um, and the goal was, you know, to showcase their work and to use that to inspire the next generation of individuals to also get started in the space, to show them what they could do. Um, and so that's kind of how it all got started. That's so cool. <laughs> I just I just have to say that because I, I feel like so many people, when they're trying to get their start in the space, they don't even have access to a single person for forget like a, somebody who's representative of themselves. Right. But like a lot of people don't even have somebody that they can reach out to, to get educated about all these technologies. And there's so much confusing and conflicting information about blockchain out there. And here you've put in the work for people and managed to curate these perspectives and, and allow them to see uh, some of the really incredible people who've been working in this space from its beginnings. And, and you managed to do this, uh, you know, at, at at a really important time, I would say. Yeah, and I totally agree. Like uh, one one big thing for us is, you know, the space is is definitely very much still in its infancy. So I think there's a really unique opportunity here to set the culture and tone right now um, of one that you know values diversity and inclusion, um, and set that culture before you know at the very very beginnings. So it's something that's just in the infrastructure of this industry. Yeah, at this point, it might. You know, clearly we haven't gone so far as to create like a, a very toxic environment, um, but it's not a representative or diverse environment. And I've often said that it's you know, having experienced both. It's kind of at times the worst of tech diversity and the worst of finance diversity. And w when I told you I went into the trading field, we I worked on a trading yeah. floor that was 100 percent male. It was 40 wow. male traders and zero female traders. For the entire time that I worked there, we got our first female trader basically when I quit. And it blew wow. my minds because I saw so much irrational, insane behavior. Uh, and all the sane people in the office seemed to be the women, but they were doing the back office work. And it made no sense. It, it really made no sense. And the only explanation I could have had is, is that just there was something systemic from the early stages of finance. And I think from the early stages of the tech industry, these these weren't necessarily... Uh, it, there wasn't the right interventions done. So, so what do you think? Like, what's what's the root of the problem in the in the blockchain space? Like, do do you think that 
you know, I, I've gone two ways about this. Is is it kind of like we're in a worse situation because it is at the intersection of tech and finance? Or are we in a better situation because of all these values of decentralization uh, that seem to be inherent to the space? Yeah, I, you know, I definitely think that's an interesting question. And I, I think I've seen kind of both of those perspectives. I think pragmatically, um, when you know, different people are building out companies and organizations, they're still hiring a lot from those tech and finance pools, which leaves the, which, which provides a similar sort of demographic. However, I definitely agree that there's a huge difference in the ethos of the space. Many people are very, very open-minded and really, really do value, you know, these things, whether that's openness or inclusion, diversity. Um, so I think it's a really interesting crux. And I think because it is at the intersection of technology and finance, people have similar hesitations about coming into the space as to either of those industries. You know, it seems intimidating. It seems jargon filled. It's sometimes hard to figure out where to start, you know, where how to find out what you're interested in. Um, and so I think there are, there are a lot of barriers in that sense, but at the same time, a lot of opportunity because, because the space is, is so young, you can become an expert in, you know, any one of these niche areas very, very quickly. And you can have a pretty large impact, um, you know, industry wide by working on, you know, a lot of the different projects in the space. Um, you don't necessarily have to have like a PhD or a formal education or any of these things. Um, so I think by, you know, enabling people to, to see that and to see that all the opportunity and all the impact that they have the potential to make, that can get people really, really excited. But it's about showing them that path in the first place and making it such that the initial barriers where it's like, okay, this is still like a technology field or this is still a bunch of finance people. Um, is going to be you know, pretty important to show them that there is a lot more to what's going on here and that there are resources to kind of get up to speed and then build a lot of expertise. I think by showcasing this as a movement, right, that goes deeper than like a particular technology or like an industry vertical or like, you know, like when I hear people talking about like making their career in blockchain versus, you know, being a contributor to one of these groundbreaking projects you know yeah the career in blockchain thing still kind of makes me feel weird about it because we don't know what a career in blockchain looks like i totally agree i don't even know if blockchain is is the technology versus like just like decentralized tech more generally like the web3 stack we i don't want people getting confused and thinking like you know this will be the next hot job as blockchain engineer i want people thinking (laughs) at least about you know like what does it mean to be working on these on, on these technologies in the first place, like why are we doing it? We're not doing it just to be, you know, secure in our in our own trajectories. We're doing it because there's something worth building. Yeah, yeah, true. It's, it's I very rarely hear the phrase blockchain career, um, and I think what gets people really excited is the ethos and you know the the fact that so many of so much of the space is also like ideologically driven. There's a large sense of purpose. I've seen written that the pillars for Sheaf 256, I, I want to talk about this specifically, like your approach to this, mm-hmm. I, are mentorship, education, and community. So can you talk about maybe like why these are important and maybe break down some of what you're thinking about doing in each of these pillars that, that are going to help us get to this more inclusive uh, vision for the decentralization space that you guys have? 
And so after the conference last year, we, we kind of got together and we were like, okay, well, what, what's next? What now? Um, and so at that point, because of all of the support from the community and, um, because, you know, this was something we really wanted to continue, we decided to take GT56 from just a conference to a fully fledged nonprofit. And then at that point we were thinking, you know, what do we want kind of the pillars of, of this nonprofit to be in and how specifically do we want to go about increasing diversity and breaking down barriers to entry? And so, as you mentioned, the three main things we focus on are mentorship, community, and education. Uh, so we launched our mentorship program last fall and the goal there, um, was to really, you know, allow this specifically for female identifying individuals. So to allow any of these individuals who are coming into the space um, to have a direct contact of someone who's already in the industry and not just in the industry, but in the industry in their area of interest. So if they signed up and they were interested in blockchain and design, we tried to match them with someone who was working on design in the blockchain space. So there was a direct contact for them to ask questions to, even the most you know basic questions, um, someone to kind of give them direction and show them opportunities. I think as we talked about before, there's so much misinformation in this space and it's difficult to kind of find your path um, and to understand where to get integrated and plugged in. And so the goal here was to give someone a, a direct contact, someone who could serve as their anchor and their guide. And I think, you know, from the mentor perspective, it's also a really, really great learning experience um, because you're working with someone who's interested and passionate um, and who comes from a completely different perspective often. So there's a lot that you can learn there. Um, and one other really cool thing about the program is that it's completely global, which means that a lot of the mentorship mentee pairings are, you know, the mentor and mentee are from completely different parts of the world, which also brings in another layer of nuance and perspective, which I think is really important uh, for people to be thinking about. So I guess that's kind of mentorship. Um, with regard to education, we um, have been focusing on developing out a couple of programs which are launching very, very soon. So one of them is blockchain. And the blockchain seminars are fundamentals and development boot camps for underrepresented high school students. And so our first seminar is actually tomorrow. Um, and we're piloting this program in Berkeley and Oakland uh, over the next couple of months. And depending on how that goes, we are, are looking to expand it further, maybe include some sort of certification programs so people can take the content, which will all be open sourced and then teach it in their own communities. Um, a big goal here is to introduce people to this tech, you know, even, you know, as, as, as early as high school, I think high schoolers are, you know, just as curious, capable, interested. And I think it's a really perfect time to kind of show them what's going on here and introduce them to all of this. So blockchain is one thing. Um, and then we are also um, hosting a design-a-thon, which will be on March 9th, also for high school students. And the goal there is for any you know high schoolers, you, you know, even if they've never heard about this technology before, maybe even never programmed before, to be able to think about and tackle some of the problems that we're facing. So they'll be given a design challenge and, and they'll be able to form teams and kind of get together and solve all of that. Um, and then our annual conference and a lot of the meetups, I, I think, you know, education is really, really, really crucial um, by, by, you know, teaching people about what's going on in this space and diving into different subsectors. That's how we can have the conversations that will help advance the space forward. Um, and then community kind of ties into everything, every, every aspect of the organization um, within, yeah, within the space, you know, we want people to be able to be supportive of each other um, and, you know, 
And I think the space is very, very good at that more than any other space I've seen. Um, you know, everyone is very, very collaborative and very, very open. And I think that's very, very special. You know, community is a huge piece of what I do personally, and it, it can be challenging to to build an inclusive community just because of the diversity, not just of the individuals, but of their perspectives and their experiences, you know, and then, you know, forming a coherent whole out of that. That's to me, that's actually the hardest part of what you're doing. Forget, you know, just like everything you have to do to help people like get a foothold in the space and educate them about it. But just like, you know, make sure that they are surrounded by people in in a trusting environment where, where there's support and, you know, resources can be shared freely. That's that's a hard challenge in itself, regardless of, of what your focus is, you know, and regardless of what industry you're in, regardless of whether you're touching blockchain or not. I think the hardest thing of what you're doing might be the community side. Yeah, I think I think we're really lucky in this space that most people are willing to share information. Like there's a wealth of knowledge in medium posts and podcasts and people are willing to sit down and explain concepts and that's definitely, you know, I think one of my most favorite parts of of this space, something that probably really drew me in initially and something that we hope to just continue to foster going forward. So when I think about, you know, our, my own community or when I look at communities in the space, there's a lot of communities um, that that have a hard time including people if they don't have a very strong, like, development background or if they're not already very familiar with blockchain technology, not because only because it's not clear how this person is going to contribute, but also just like the technologies themselves are so hard to use right now. We, we yeah. have a like an, an accessibility and usability crisis in some ways. And maybe it's just because the space is nascent. I'm not saying that, you know, this won't get fixed or it can't get fixed. Um, I'm definitely saying we can work on it. But let, let's talk about this for a second, because you do have a big design focus in, in the work that you're doing and in the events that yeah. you're creating for people. So what do you think is the role of design in the blockchain and decentralization space? What's the role now? And what is that role going to look like going forward? Yeah, for sure. Um you know, we think it's absolutely crucial and it's definitely a very important part of FG256. Like, um, we have an amazing, you know, design team and we take that into account in almost, in almost everything that we do. Um, and so, you know, the role, I think the, you know, the role of design in, in any industry is to create accessibility, um, to allow, you know, users or individuals or whoever's interacting with their technology to be able to do so in a seamless way, to understand their thought processes and their patterns and direct them to use the technology in a way that feels very natural to them. And so I think that's going to be important. You know, that is important in blockchain now and will continue to grow in importance going forward as more and more people start getting onboarded to this technology and to this space. And so a big thing is definitely that there's a usability challenge. Um, I, uh, the other day I sent some ETH to, um, my 11 year old and 16 year old sisters just to kind of see like what they would do with it. I was curious. Um, and the 16 year old just didn't like, didn't want anything. I was like, I'm just going to send you free money. She didn't want anything to do with it. Um, just because she was like, you know, this isn't us dollars. Like I can't use it to like go buy like a Glossier product. Like, uh, so <laughs> it, it was, yeah, it was funny. Um, but you know for her like there wasn't nothing that she was you know excited about when it came to this free money 
Um, the 11 year old on the other hand thought it was like the coolest thing ever and went and like played with crypto kitties and like converted to dye and went on Uniswap. And when she was using oh all God. these different, it was, it was so cool. She's a power <laughs> user. She really is. Yeah. And when she was, she doing opened all up of a that, CDP. Yeah. Oh my gosh. She didn't get quite that far. Uh, but she, she did like her first question to me was, is like, is, you know, is the value of my free money going to change tomorrow? And I was like, hey, maybe. And so she was like, okay, I want to make it stable. Um, so then she went straight to Uniswap. Wow. Uh, and it was and using, yeah, it, it was Careful cool. like, she doesn't she, become she, a trader because that's risk management. <laughs> True. Um, she, it was super easy for her to use a, a lot of these, you know, technologies. Like she had no problem with Uniswap. Um, with MetaMask, she had to do some Googling, but she was able to get it up. And, and I definitely think, you know, part of the usability challenge is that the space is so nascent, but there's already a lot, a lot of, you know, amazing projects like working on improvement there. And if, when people are interested, it, it does seem like they are willing to kind of, um, you know, go through those frictions to be able to, to use the technology, but for it to be completely hundred percent accessible to the mainstream, um, there's definitely a lot of work to be done. To be sure. Uh, I, I think what's important here, and you're raising all of these points, is is can we break it down between like what's the usability challenge that like is just, you know, we haven't found a way to abstract something away for the end user, and what's the usability challenge where it's like this is more a problem with the legacy world than it is with the world we're building, where it's like mm -hmm. I see older people have trouble with these technologies because they they've got something to compare it to they're like well i know how to open a bank account i know how to buy a stock you know i know how to do this 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 and all of this seems so needlessly complicated when i already kind of think i know what money is and how systems work and things like that and then you've got a new generation coming in that has never done any of that and doesn't take any of it for granted some of the first things they're touching might be cryptocurrencies or decentralized technologies and then we're forcing them to go open a bank account or something and they're sitting yeah. there waiting for the teller for you know a good oh hour gosh. and then they're just like why are we doing this again i can relate to this really personally like i um i mean i i, I feel like i understand like cdps significantly better than like traditional loans in you know the financial in traditional finance and you know having to like interact with that legacy system for me is just so much more overhead than having to, to do it, you know, in a blockchain centric, very technology centric way. Um, and I do think we're going to see this kind of conversion with the next generation where it's like, you know, people don't want to physically go to these places and wait absurd amounts of time for things to happen. Like even if generations previously were okay with that and used to that and acclimated to that, I think people in our, you know, in the younger generations are, um, they would rather wait you know, like online for, for, you know, uh, confirmation to hit their, to hit their email than have to go somewhere in person. Um, so I think that's definitely going to be really, really interesting as this younger generation kind of grows up with this technology being significantly more normalized. It's so strange because uh, the criticism that I hear is, you know, this, these generations, you know, millennials and below, they have no interest, you know, in human interaction because they don't want to go sit in a bank and they don't want to look at a teller and they don't want to sit <laughs> on the phone with an operator. And I have such a completely 
different perspective, which is that we care so much about human interaction and community and connection that we don't want all of our interactions with our fellow humans to be that they're on the other side of a Starbucks counter or they're behind a pane of bulletproof glass while we wait to take money out from them that neither of us really own. It's like, why, why is that the nature of all of our human interactions? Why should we be so patient you know, with all of this stuff, yeah, when, when we just want more time to actually, you know, have real relationships with other humans, that that's more how I see it. Yeah, no, I completely on the same page. Um, I think also, you know, like, so like the, this generation is growing up with like Uber on their phones, and like, all of these, you know, conveniences, you know, Instacart, you don't have to go to the grocery store. And when all of these things are are normalized, and you still have to go to a bank, it just feels so it's a jarring. <laughs> it is. I mean, I, I, I still do. I, you know, I, I, I yeah. need banks right now. But, you yeah. know, it's, it's about creating choice for, for future users. For and, sure. I, and I, and I want to sure. tell you, I want to ask you something about these future users, because a lot of what we've talked about with She256 is diversity and inclusion for people who want to go work on these technologies, build these technologies, build communities around these technologies. How do you think about diversity and inclusion when it comes to the end users? You know, eventually we want millions of people around the globe, any kind of person, being able to use decentralized networks and technologies. When when do you think, first of all, the when, right? Like, when do you think yeah. we're going to get to these millions of users? And then what do you think that you and She256 can be doing in in having like a user-centric focus, like making making all these dApps more more accessible for sure you know i definitely think that when we're talking about millions of users around the globe it's definitely going to be a process you know people in the space talk a lot about banking the unbanked um and you know definitely this technology has the potential to do so many amazing things there but i don't think i don't think we're there yet um so with mechanism labs we've been working on a field study in india and from, you know, going there and interacting with people there, you know, having access to easy money transfer isn't the first problem. Like for a lot of these people, it's how can I get food on the table and how can I, you know, have basic health care and, and things like that. And so for a lot of those populations, it's, it's still, still a little bit of a ways away. However, um, those, on a global scale, there are still a lot of people for whom this technology makes a lot of sense. And the first step, I think, is just making people aware that this altern- that this option exists. And so that's a big goal, you know, with She256 to bring people in this into the space who've never heard about it before. Um, and from a usability perspective, in terms of getting people to use these applications, um, I think the first thing is to just get people excited excited about, you know, the potential of the space and the ethos because we're still very, very early. And so we still need a lot of people to be building up these next steps and these next foundations. And that's kind of our focus right now. How do we get people involved in helping to build it out? Um, in terms of people using these these technologies and these decentralized applications, um, I can't necessarily say that there's like a, a traditional like everyday user who um, we're looking to on board to just using decentralized applications. It's more we want to onboard them into this whole ethos and this whole space and have them help build that out. I don't think we're necessarily there yet. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's everybody's dog fooding right now. And, and the concern yeah. I always come back to is like, how do we make sure we're building technologies that don't just work for the thousand people who are also building them? But, you know, the thousands of because because the one thing that that scares me, maybe you don't agree that this is a, such a bad scenario, but maybe you do, um, is that we'll end up in a world where centralized uh, companies, the traditional world will try to capture some of the energy and ethos of what's being built in the decentralized world, like remove all of the additional value for the end user, but craft a really clever story around it so that they think they're getting hmm. some of that value, but then they make it more usable. And that's how they scale faster than these actual, you know, decentralized ecosystems. And, you know, that that seems to me like that seems to me like a really bad outcome that everybody's some like I don't want to name names here, so I'll just say Schmacebook. Um, <laughs> let's say they come out with some sort of like you know potentially like nominal cryptocurrency, right, and convince everybody yeah. that it's decentralized because it's digital, but actually it just becomes a, a means of control. It, it's against the ethos, but how how do we Completely. how do we make sure we stay ahead of this, like on an educational basis, on a community basis? Like how can we how can we move at that speed and scale to make sure that this this doesn't actually become the the nightmare scenario where we've totally lost control of what we're building. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, obviously a big part of this space is to be building those decentralized alternatives to these centralized institutions that do have all this control over our data and over what we see and and how we interact with their platforms. And so it's definitely, you know, scary to think that those institutions could um take the narrative and manipulate it. Um and definitely, definitely something we we have to be ahead of the the curve about, and making sure that we are we are interacting with the people who they're trying to target as well, and conveying our side of the story. And this again kind of goes into, you know, all that's going on with you know misinformation in this day and age as well. Like, what what do we consider truth, and how do we convey opinions to people, and I think that's 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 definitely a bigger question in itself. Um, and but going back to what you were saying about dog fooding and like building applications that you know just the thousand people, the thousand people who who are building them can use. I definitely think like um, those thousand people are probably like a, a good place to start with. But it's really important to bring in kind of um, like ideals from like this is where I think we can draw from you know, the tech industry who's been working with users for a long time while engaging in like user testing and going out and putting these applications in the hands of people who are not those thousand people and seeing how they interact with them and seeing where they find value. So prioritizing like the design thinking process um, and going out and investing in that user testing and, you know, things of that nature, I think will help us scale beyond those thousand people by really understanding from real people in you know, a rigorous kind of research-backed way, what they want. Do you have an example, like, like of when you've done that in, in the space, or or when you know somebody's done that really effectively in the space, like applied design thinking and created a better product as a result, specifically like in this space? Um, I think a lot of people are starting to to starting to employ this a little bit more now. Um, so a Dharma Lever just released, and they know they've been doing an alpha program where they kind of invite people to use their product. Um, and provide feedback, specific feedback, and then they're iterating on it before they formal, formally release it. Um, and they've abstracted away MetaMask 
And so I think that's been kind of a good example of user testing a product that they've created. I don't know if they went through um, a similar like user research process before that, but I definitely think that this is becoming something that more people more people are thinking about. Definitely something that we're thinking about. Um, you know, with this like field study in India and. Um, Right. And, I was going to so say, yeah, yeah. At Mechanism Labs, you, you have to be like confronting this yeah. on an almost daily basis. Oh, yes. <laughs> the usability pillar of the research that we're doing, you know, basically fits this exactly. Like the goal is to go and talk to real people and understand what their day to day looks like and have them testing out these technologies and understanding what is useful to them and what's not and what their challenges are. Yeah. And I want to emphasize, just like the diversity challenge is not just a challenge for the blockchain space and the decentralization space, like the usability challenge and accessibility challenge is is global to the tech industry. You yeah. know, th- this is not like, oh, now we've just decided that decentralized technologies need to be useful. Like, how could we, you know, have gone so long without kind of figuring that out? <laughs> well, I feel like a large swath of the tech industry still has not you know, remotely grappled with that. But now we're seeing more examples of uh, coding platforms that don't require code that are just kind of like drag and drop. Yeah, no, I totally, totally agree. Um, Even I I was talking to um, some of the people at UNICEF and UNICEF is doing some really, really cool stuff in the blockchain space. Um, And we were talking about, you know, a pilot that they ran um, where the participants were illiterate. And so what they were trying to do was allow people to make payments and die. Um, but they had to completely design an application that would allow people to do that, you know, without like, like even if people were illiterate, they would be able to use the application. And I so I think like in terms of accessibility, like they're definitely design challenges like that, that very much, you know, are, are prevalent and exist and, um, and, and are necessary to, to, you know, build applications in that way with those kind of people in mind to make this accessible to them as well. That's, yeah, an unbelievably complex undertaking. But as you said, if, yeah. if, the, if we're going to achieve all of these dreams of decentralization, like uh, banking the unbanked, then that's what you have to do. And then if, and it does feel like, as has been said, sometimes we're kind of stuck at, like, we're unbanking the banked. <laughs> like, that's as far as we've gotten. I think we can go quite a bit further. And and to explore that question, let me let me ask you something. Like here we are with with Shitsu 56 today. Um what do you want it to be, let's say, in like 5 years? If if this is as successful as you're hoping, if if you're if you are successfully opening up this space, making it more inclusive, if you're helping more people use these technologies at the end of the day, like what kind of work do you think you'll be able to do in that future. And I, I hate to put you on the spot like this, but it seems like you must have already thought a little bit about it because you're, you're working on so many things and, and, and you have such a clear perspective on, on the why. We, we, uh, we definitely have thought about this. Um, it's been, you know, just kind of a, a crazy journey for us a little bit. We didn't necessarily expect Shoot to 56 to turn into a nonprofit or any of this, but we do have some big goals. Um, we really want to see people who go through, you know, our programs, whether that's mentorship or blockchain or any of this, pursue real careers in the blockchain space. And we've seen this a little bit with mentorship where some of the mentees are now working in the blockchain space, which is very, very cool for us. That's like a definitely a huge, huge goal. Um, and so bringing, really bringing people in. And I think one of the clearest ways that we can see, you know, uh, uh, 
that we are accomplishing in our goals of, of kind of breaking down those barriers to entry are people actually entering the space. And so I think that's a very important immediate goal for us. And then I think another, you know, our, our two key goals as an organization are kind of one to increase awareness about diversity and inclusion within the space and two to bring people into the space. Um, and so if we can hit those targets, then then we would, you know, be be accomplishing, you know, what we want to accomplish. And I think this is definitely going to evolve significantly throughout the years. Um, you know, like we talked about before a little bit right now, you know, we're focused on really bringing people into the space and, and working on what's going on here. But from a user focused mindset, you know, eventually when we can abstract a lot of this away and we're trying to onboard people into the system just to use these applications, that, um, you know, could become another area of focus as the technology starts to evolve a little bit more. Oh, that's amazing. So so in, in terms of this like internal awareness, it seems like a big focus for you. Uh, and for the nonprofit has been these events. So how are you over like the next year, let's say, going to be pushing forward on awareness within the space by, by, you know, actually having places where people can go and get exposure to like new ideas from new voices? For sure. Yeah. So a couple of different things we're going to, um, so we, we did a, an event last month called Welcome to Blockchain in Berkeley. And the goal for that event was really just anyone who wanted to come learn about blockchain um, could come and it was meetup style. And we're going to be making that a monthly thing. So those are going to be happening in Berkeley each month. Um, but we are also, we also just confirmed um, the date and location for our annual conference. So this will be April 28th at Berkeley Haas all day. Um, and similar to last year, you know, we want to be featuring the work of amazing women researchers and, and, and innovators in the space. So a lot of incredible people talking about really cool work. And we're definitely going to expand the scope of some of these conversations. Um, last year, it was, you know, very much, you know, technical research focused talks. And this year, we kind of want to expand that a little bit more. We want to be talking about design. We want to be talking about open source, legal, technical research. And so I'm excited. It's going to be a day full of these conversations from lots and lots of different perspectives. Um, and I think, you know, a valuable experience for people who are in this space and people who aren't in the space to meet each other and share perspectives. Um, I think that's one cool thing about the conference is that it brings together people who have been in the space for a long time and people who this might be their first time hearing the word blockchain. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, first of all, I could not be looking forward to this more. It sounds like it's going to be an incredible day. I can't believe it's only like the second time you're you're going to be doing this. I, I feel like <laughs> this is the sort of thing that should have been going on for the past decade. Um, but so what do you think people do here now when they hear the word blockchain for the first time? Like you're, you're sometimes talking with people, you know, like your sisters, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. For the first time they're touching these technologies. And, and I think a lot of people in this space and maybe a lot of people listening to this podcast in particular, you know, they got involved during like this, this crazy bull market of over speculation and over hype. And, you know, they had one impression of what blockchain was and wasn't or what decentralization was or wasn't. And maybe now they've been jaded or maybe they've gone through the full cycle and they're, they're fully back to excited again. But, you know, like for people who are just coming into the space the first time now, maybe they missed the last like couple years of like crazy over speculation and then the massive correction. What do you what do you think people are thinking now? If they missed all that, when they look right now at blockchain and decentralization, what are they seeing? 
That's a good question. And I really think it is very different based on where different people are coming from. So if I were to ask, you know, just you know, any anyone, you know, here on, on Berkeley's campus, for example, maybe their first association with blockchain is blockchain at Berkeley, just because that's what's in their vicinity. <laughs> um, but, if I, <laughs> um, but if I ask, you know, like my, my siblings, you know, per se, they're in you know, high school or middle school, and they haven't really come across this technology in any tangible way. So, you know, their first thing is, okay, what's blockchain? Is it like a chain of blocks? Like they're just, they don't really know necessarily what to think. Um, and so those are kind of the reactions that, that I get, or, or people are just completely skeptical and they're well, they like, must know oh, Bitcoin. it's all what, what do people say these days yeah. if, if, if they've kind of like tangentially heard of Bitcoin, but they kind of missed everything? Do you, do you think it's, how's the brand doing? I guess that's kind of what that's I'm getting brand. at. It's like, how, how's the whole brand of the space? Well, it, it's an important thing, right? Like if you want no, people I to get excited about totally. something, it has to not sound like, you know, some kind of crazy scam when they hear about it. And what I'm hoping that you're doing with your work is you're helping them see the potential of the technology and not just the you know, what they might have heard on uh, some, you know, on TV or on CNBC or whatever else, depending on the age of the person you're talking to, I guess. But no, totally. Yeah. When we when we talk to people about this technology, what we try to bring forth is, you know, regardless of what they have coming in, whatever conceptions they have coming in, um, we try to show them kind of the future and what's exciting. So we talk about things like Augur, where you can arbitrarily create, you know, a mechanism for, for people to, to bet on just about anything and enable anyone to create those assets. You don't have to, you know, be, you know, some sort of like accredited investor and, uh, you know, all of, you know, be subject to, like, you, you have so much more access. So I guess DeFi is one thing, like all of DeFi, um, mm-hmm. where, you know, you can, now you can take out a loan using a CDP. And you can, you know, arbitrarily send money to people all across the globe. And, and so we talk about things that, that are very, very, that provide very, very clear benefits over the existing system. So something like this, where it's like, now all of these people have access and you can do it right now. Um, Things like that are kind of what we go to um, when we're trying to talk to people about what this technology can enable. And then we'll, you know, ask them to think a little bit about like we'll, we'll, we'll you know we'll do this basic explanation and we'll ask them to brainstorm and, and think about what they think is possible with this technology and really really emphasize that there's still so much that people haven't thought of and so much terrain and that there's opportunity for them to contribute here as well and so we that's kind of the the you know the framework that we use when we we are talking to people regardless of what their you know previous conceptions might have been yeah, you're sitting right at the intersection of two perspectives of, of people who have been on this podcast before. One of them who I know you know is Eric Pinos from mm-hmm. from Blockchain Education Network, you know, who who works a lot with students and he sees that same excitement that that you do in, in people just learning about the stuff for the first time, thinking about the possibilities. And then the other is Ari Paul, who came on mm-hmm. and he said something to the effect of, you know, if every single person who'd ever touched a decentralized technology or a cryptocurrency decided to drop it forever tomorrow, we would still have something like 7 billion people remaining who could then pick up these technologies. And and I see yeah. the work that you're doing as kind of essential to be like, well, you know, in, in that worst case scenario, if Ari's right and everybody gives up on this stuff tomorrow for whatever reason, you know, like 
Uh, it could be any number of things. Like the work that you're doing to me seems so critical in making sure that those next 7 billion people aren't going to give up on it, even if they haven't even ever heard of it now. Because the, the fundamental principles and the technologies, they, they don't go away just because you know, the, just because the going gets hard or because, you know, people get frustrated with the, the, the space at large for any number of reasons. Like this is, I want to emphasize for the listeners and I know you do too, this isn't going anywhere. It's only getting more exciting and there's only more and more younger people who are going to get excited about the possibilities. Oh, for sure. Yeah. These smart contracts live on chain forever. We, we can't get rid of them. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's uh it's terrifying for its own reason, but you know what? It's it's also like you said, it's it's super exciting. So, look, we we've touched on a lot. Your your work is super important. Everything that you're you're building and doing to me seems to be like adding like extremely tangible value to the space. I'm sure what a lot of our listeners are probably wondering is if they want to get involved with any of the things that you're doing, you know, whether they're a student or whether they're a woman who wants to enter the space or they're a woman in the space who wants to become a mentee or mentor. You know, I, there, there's so many ways I feel like people can get involved with what you're doing. So where, where can people go to find out more or what's the next step? So all of the information on how to get involved is on our website, she256.io. Um, But some of the things in particular are if you're interested in mentorship, we will be doing a second iteration of the program sometime towards the mid to end of this year. And you can fill out an interest form on the website right now um, where you'll receive emails to keep up to date on that. Um, We also have a mailing list where we'll send out a weekly fireside chat with a woman in the space. And so these are so cool. Um, Roshni on the She256 team writes these and they're absolutely wonderful um, interviews with women in the space and they talk specifically about the work that they're doing and how people can can get involved in that area. So I would definitely sign up for the newsletter. Um, We also are doing a lot of different events. So most of them um, are currently in the Bay Area and we have, you know, the annual conference coming out on the 28th, but we are looking to kind of expand the presence, you know, more globally. And so if you have any ideas on partnership or want to host an event in your own community, definitely reach out to us. Um, our email is on the website and that's the best way to get in touch. So those are the biggest, biggest ways to get involved um, right now. And definitely keep an eye out. There's a lot more coming this year and we'll be continuing to push information through the mailing list and through our social media channels. Oh, I can't wait. That's super exciting. I will add links to everything you just mentioned into the podcast subscription. Oh my God. Into the podcast description so people can follow up and, uh, and and see more of what you guys are doing. I'm really excited to see what you do with the conference. Uh, there's just so much to do. Um, but fortunately, after talking to you, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that we actually have a little bit of time. And, and, and that's exciting. It never feels like there's enough of it. But uh, I, I feel really good about what you're doing and, and, and where all these things you're working on are going. So Alexis... Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing where this all goes. For sure. Thank you for having me.